On this episode of The Dusty Allen Show, I caught up with Mason Cox, the American expat turned AFL footballer. We caught up on Zoom and he shared with me that there was once a time that he didn't even know that Melbourne even existed. He talks about what life was like before he was an AFL footballer, clunking marks on the game's biggest stage, and that he's okay with the attention and criticism that sometimes comes his way. He also lets me in on a secret to his success in his personal and professional life, as well as a little secret he's got planned on becoming an Australian. Come on in. Water's great. And now listening to the Dusty Allen Show. Welcome to the Dusty Allen Show. Mason Cox, welcome to the Dusty Allen Show. Thanks for having me on. It's, um, I'm really excited for this, Dusty. Really excited. Um, last time, I think we probably, probably properly hung out in person was uh, President's Cup. And a yes. uh, bit of golf. A bit of golf running around the uh, golf course, just pretty much chasing Tiger around, I think, as everyone does. <laughs> I think you were, you were getting chased around uh, a bit there as well, mate, through, uh, through your, uh, your fans and whatnot. I don't think I've ever seen someone get stopped and asked for photos or uh, or selfies and things like that so but that it seems seems like a lifetime ago but also not that long ago as well given that's probably what's what's passed in the the six months since since that occurred yeah it's um it's just really weird i mean like you said it feels like it wasn't that long ago but now looking back it was yeah it would have been about six months ago and we're in the middle of winter now it would have been in the summer so yeah, it's um, three months of oh, not too much going on. I think a lot of just Zoom chats and Zoom meetings and everything else, and then uh, just trying to stay fit and whatnot. So it's um, interesting times we live in, to say the least. Very interesting times. But it's, um, I think it's allowed for some cool stuff to come out of it. Uh, hopefully, you got to look at the bit of a positive side of everything. Um, hopefully, there's some unique things and people start, uh, start really realizing how much they enjoy, I think, human interaction. Um, I'm hoping that's one of the biggest things that comes out of this. Well, I think I, I agree with you, mate. There's definitely been, we'll say, and I don't want to use too many, too many cliches here, but trying times for the, for the, for the human race. And well, like, what would you think? Well, first of all, my, my thought is that there's always, when there's change force or otherwise, there's always some positive that can be taken from the situation. What, what's your take on the, the biggest positive that's come from these coronavirus times? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's one of those things like everyone just now has a moment to take a breath um, to really see what they value in life, whether it be, you know, their job, whether it be their friends, whatever it might be. I think now that everyone's forced to, to stop essentially, like everyone's forced to sit at home and, and to really kind of have that time to, really reevaluate everything. I think it's been probably good for a lot of people. I think that might have some things in their life that they go, well, is this really something I want to be still doing in 30 years? You know, do I still want to be at the same job or do I want to start my own company maybe, or do I want to kind of make something of, um, of this time to be able to start a new kind of journey in my life? So I think that's probably, I'm pretty excited to see kind of some stories that come out of this, you know, people that have kind of turned their life from maybe a nine to five of working in a business, you know, and then all of a sudden goes, you know what, I'm going to chase my passion and do something completely different. I think that's, that's the interesting stories. I'm really keen to kind of, I don't know, here once this is all done. And I think a lot of people are going to do that because as, as we all do, as humanity does, we all just kind of get stuck into our routine and, you know, we keep working, working, working. Next thing you know, is 10 years goes, goes by and we go, Oh, what have I done in 10 years? You know, and you can't really have one or two things that stick out that, were you know life changing it's just kind of going through the grind on a weekly basis and then next thing you know 10 years has passed by would you you've hit the nail on the head there i think with people like what's what people are really reevaluating what's important to them every like most people have had some time to to sit and evaluate what's important to them you know where they find a sense of purpose in what they're doing given that say for some people that work has been taken away from some people, their social life from some people, their ability to travel, their ability to socialize. And they've had this forced time to sit with themselves and work out what is truly important to them, what they value the most. And I'm, I'm with you. I look forward to seeing the, the positive change in people that's going to come out of this and the different probably tra- trajectories and directions that, that people take. Yeah, it's, 
it is going to be interesting. I think there'll be, like I said, man, I think a lot of people are just going to go, okay, is this, I've, I've got a certain amount of time on this earth, you know, I've got a certain amount of life left and every single day I'm getting less and less of that. And is this exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life? And I think a lot of people are coming to the realization that the answer to that is no. Well, the answer to that is they're going to want to do something different, whether it be maybe more charity work. Maybe it's, you know, they want to have that human contact interaction of feeling like they're, you know, doing something for a better good. Um, I think there's just a lot of people have probably come to the realization of there's just more to life than, you know, that nine to five of just going to work mm. and then coming back and then going to the end of the, to the year and they go, Oh, well, my quarterly was so great. You know, my yearly rates are so <laughs> great. Whatever it is. It's like, yeah, that was, that's great. But that's the company making the money. You know, that's the company taking all the credit. That's not like they're not sitting there and giving, they might give you a plaque for employee of the month, but at the end of the day, like, is that something you're going to, you know, bury yourself with as an employee yeah. of the month plaque? Like, come on, let's be realistic. Like there's so many things I think along those lines that people are starting to really they're forced essentially to, to look at it now because of the situation that we're all in. So it'd be very interesting to see the mentality of a lot of people coming out of this. Speaking of interesting and different trajectories and possibly bad segues, your trajectory <laughs> and your story is fascinating. And to a lot of the people in the Aussie rules football community here, fairly well documented um, with your I suppose your path coming from uh, US, you know, college basketball, that sort of thing. And I've always been curious because, and I've, I've listened along and I've enjoyed following your, your story. When you, when you came to Australia, what were certain things that really stood out as far as like, you know, and you're an educated man, you're not no fool. You know, you don't think that it's all, you know, Crocodile Dundee or the movie Australia <laughs> and there's kangaroos hopping around over there. What were some of the things that stood out to you as the differences that you're like, I had no idea what it was like in Australia? Uh, to be honest, I, I thought, yeah, I thought kangaroos were essentially deer. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, there's gonna be, we're going to at least see one by the time we leave here, right? So we, yep. the first time I came here, I was with my brother on kind of an AFL, um, I felt kind of how to, or you know, just a showcase of what it was. And, um, it was quite funny. We thought like we had no, like I had no idea Melbourne even existed. I'd never heard of Melbourne. Um, Sydney only knew because of the Sydney Olympics 2000, obviously like all eyes are on it. Um, and that was the only place in Australia I really knew. So I really have any clue of what I was getting into when I came here. I'll never forget. Um, I always kind of thought, Oh yeah, there's, I assume there's probably a city there. You know, I assume Melbourne's a city, but who knows how big it is. You know, like I was thinking maybe the size of a, uh, maybe a Bendigo probably or something like that, you know? And, um, I never forgot, I got in the car and we're going over, I want to say it's the, the Balti, I want to say it is. And uh, you get that look going over the Balti of um, AFL House and Etihad Stadium and the Docklands and everything else. And it's a beautiful site. Now we were thinking, I was like, oh, this is a legit place. Like, <laughs> this is a legit city. And that was kind of like, I guess the first, first time I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is probably a bit more legitimate than I had originally thought. Um, and... Yeah, the, the accents probably got me for a bit. Uh, that for a long time I struggled with and then eventually ended up just becoming one of them and I ended up getting an accent because of how many people I just kind of took after, I think, having daily conversations with. I eventually got half American, half Aussie accent. So, um, yeah, I think that. And then, I don't know, the people were very similar to Texas, I think, where I grew up. And everyone here is pretty nice. Like, you go in and yet everyone's driving you know, 80 or sorry, hundred K's or 80 K's an hour on the, um, on the highway. And you don't see anyone in the States. You'll get, if it's 70 miles per hour, you'll get guys going 110 miles per hour, just like cutting you off, zooming past you or whatever it is. You know, no one cares. We're here. Everyone's like stays in their lane, you know, does the right thing. You know, it follows the law. And I was kind of just confused. I think when I first came here, of like, okay, this is quite orderly and quite structured in the way they kind of go about all this stuff. Where in the U S is a bit more of a madman, a uh, mad game of just whoever wants to take it, takes it. So I think that was probably another thing of kind of how everyone just somewhat followed the rules and like no one kind of went out of their shell in that sense. So that was one of the, the first, I guess, realizations of Australian culture. I don't know if you've spent much time driving in Perth, but it's just more <laughs> hectic over that way. Like merging just politely doesn't exist over there. You know, and I love, love WA, love Perth people. That's, you know, WA is where I'm from, but you would think that merging would be like a zipper. Everyone should just, you know, jump in, but it's not. It's like every man for himself. And in a way, when you were mentioning that, it's almost like 
America, USA, known for its capitalism. I feel like same with driving. If there's a space, you hustle, you get in Take there, it. and it, you get, and yeah. everyone rewards is like, yeah, fair play. You know, that's uh, that's fine. <laughs> now, one of the things that I've always been really curious about and fascinated and observed, like, so I've spent some time in North America. When I say North America, like, used to live in Canada, and I feel like the sporting landscape is fairly similar where it's and and when i similar is like canada and the states and vastly different to australia so in in my growing up i played my junior sports there was school teams depending on what school you went to but there's also like some community sport as well that's like primary school then high school same thing you might have a school team but more often not that went to like a and i grew up in a small town so like a, a a community team, a town team or suburban team, whatever you like. And then mm-hmm. there's your semi-professional football, like the state leagues and then professional. But there's also some very high caliber suburban country football leagues. And this goes for a lot of sports as well. There's your basketball, netball, hockey, field hockey for those, uh, those uh, Americans uh, and Canadians listening. Whereas when I spent time in North America, and this is at schools in the States, schools in Canada, it's very much like high school sport, a much, much bigger deal. And then you've got the the beast that is college sports, NCAA sports, and then the pros. And I always found it, I'll not say curious, but fascinating that there's no real amateur sport at a decent competitive level that I saw in, in the USA. I know there's your... Your, your rec leagues and those sort of things are probably nothing that really compares here. And like, what's your thoughts on the, the difference and which, which sort of scenario do you think is, is better, if you will? Yeah, it's, it is vastly different. I think, um, like you said, a lot, like you look at the, well, I'll take, you know, NFL or football is probably my, you know, the symbolism for this whole thing. And it's Friday night is high school football. Saturday night is college football. And then Sunday night, Monday night, is NFL or professionals and Friday night in a town, the whole town will be at the football game. Like there'll be stores will shut down. You know, it's, it's a massive deal in Texas and it's different in each state. So each state's got its different kind of culture and I guess what it values and everything else. So you look at Canada, they would do that for probably hockey games. We're in the South where I'm at NFL would do that. So Friday is that Saturday, everyone goes out for the tailgate university, wherever it is, um, goes and, you know, sees that game. And then Sunday is kind of chilled on the couch and watch the NFL team. So it's weird because you go from high school, which is up till you're 18 years old. Um, you play there, and if you're good enough, you get into college system, which is essentially you don't get paid to play a sport and then also go to university. You get university paid to play the sport that represents the university. So you go there, and then if you're lucky enough, and I think it's like 99% of athletes go, or sorry, 99% of NCAA or college athletes go pro in something other than sports. It's just, I think the statistic. So you look at how many people go into this college system of sport, which is an enormous amount, and then 99% of them go to work a desk job or go into whatever industry they want to go into after college. So to get into that 1% is very, very unlikely. And then once it happens, it's like, well, there's no other pathway for them to try to work their way back into the professional level. Um, There's no way of like, there's not really like a VFL of the IFL for NFL really like there's not really anything of a minor league that kind of gets you back into that you just kind of have to keep up your training and everything else and hopefully you get a spot on a practice team show them what you're worth and then maybe get a spot on the roster so it's a very kind of weird I don't know sense of it like there's whenever I grew up I was a select soccer which is you played high school soccer and then select soccer and select soccer kind of got you into the university and then from that university you might be able to go pro but a lot of these people now, they'll go to college and then they go straight out of college and they go, okay, well, I didn't make the professionals. I'm going to go work a desk job. And these guys are freak athletes. These males and females are absolutely freak athletes. And they just are in their prime. And maybe they just, you know, they weren't the top of the top as far as their, you know, people in their class for that year. But they still are athletically gifted. But then they just go, okay, well, I wasn't, I wasn't the one or two guys I got drafted out of the, you know, 100 or 70 to 100 guys on my um, college football team okay I'm just going to go work the you know the job that I was going to yeah I graduated with a degree from and there's such a talent pool there that can can be used and be not necessarily exploited but like 
can be looked at to be able to kind of come into maybe Aussie rules or a different kind of professional league where because there's no there's no kind of local leagues to go into an NFL like the, the only thing after college is essentially adult leagues so you're looking at like adult basketball pickup games and all that kind of stuff like there's not really mm-hmm. anything that's too set in stone and solid as far as respectful you know league you know competition wise that might be able to transfer over transfer over so it's kind of different where you got here you got the VFL you can go play in the VFL we've got a guy on our team named Brody Myrchak who played at Port Melbourne um, and then you know worked his job worked a job and everything else while he was playing and then now he's been fortunate enough to get a spot on our list and then he's become one of our best players so there's different avenues to get into the professional league where there's only really one avenue to get into the pros in the u.s and canada and that's essentially to go from high school to college straight to the professionals and if you don't take that avenue you're one of the very few that has ever done that or you essentially just get lost in it and then you go work a desk job and then that's your athletic kind of i guess life of being a professional athlete a dream of being a professional athlete just dissipates i think and brody's a really good example um and I'm sure he's a big fan of the show, the Dusty Allen show as well. Um, oh, he's a huge, huge fan. Yeah, he'll be, he'll be tuning in. The, do you see, is, is there any stories of mature age athletes becoming pro in, say, like your, your, your NFL that you, you've heard? Or is that like just really unlikely because there's, you know, it would normally have to be someone bouncing around from like a practice squad uh, as opposed to just like a dude off the street who kept himself in reasonable shape and that sort of thing? Well, the thing is, I think it comes down really to numbers in the U.S. Um, every year, there's that many people trying to get a spot on an NFL list who are in their prime. And every year older you get, the less in your prime you actually are. So I think the only time I've really – there's a few people, maybe a quarterback, because a quarterback can be someone who doesn't need to be as athletically gifted. You look at Tom Brady whenever he was drafted. Like he, everyone obviously knows his, his NFL draft photo of him who looks super out of shape and everything else. And then, of course, it gets better as the years go on, where you can have the mental capacity there, but not the physical capacity at the time and still be able to kind of go forward. So there's a guy we had named Brandon Whedon, actually, at university, and he was he was in late 20s whenever he had come back. So he'd gone to, I think he went to Oklahoma State or something, then went and played minor league baseball, and then came back to university and then played college football. And then by the time he was about to graduate, he was probably closer to 30, got drafted by, I think it might have been the Cleveland Browns or someone, and played there for a bit and then he would have been maybe 30 ish whenever he kind of retired so he was kind of late and all the other guys were you know 22 whenever they kind of came into the system of the pros so he would probably be one of the very few I think that I would know of that was kind of older that kind of came back into it but that was essentially because he had played oh, pretty much professional in a different sport swapped sports again to be able to go back to football did really well and then got scouts looking at him so that was a very unique scenario but there's not very many of those out there and I was lucky enough, you mentioned uh, you grew up in, is it Texas? Is that uh, Texas. Texas? So I was lucky enough, spent a bit of time in Texas, great state, and great state. went to a Friday night football game. I, I was in Austin at the time, and I think it could have been the Austin High School Maroons or something like that. And okay. I'd watched my, up until that point, I hadn't got into watching Friday Night Lights, the series. I'd watched the movie and also one of my favorite movies of all time is Varsity Blues. And anyway, so like my dad was there, like a couple of mates uh, 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 who played, uh, we actually played a bit of footy in the States as well. And we went down there and I was blown away. Like I knew it was big, but I didn't know how, how big. And that's probably not even the biggest example that I would have had somewhere in, in Texas. But a few things stood out to me was that obviously like the cheerleaders like come out and I noticed I was just looking around the crowd and there was a, one of the mums of the cheerleaders had like a jacket on and it had like Britney's mom or whatever. Oh, she gosh. was like the cheer captain <laughs> and that sort of thing. And I, it got me thinking like of these movies that I've watched do a lot of, so let's say like what percentage of, well, there's a certain percentage obviously of college athletes who go on to the pros minute. And then of the ones say from like high school, is it similar percentages who go on to say play or go to go to college? Because I get the sense there'd be some kids who realize that from an athletic perspective, their peak is going to, and they're aware of it, is going to come in high school and they really want to make the most of that experience. Yeah, I think it is, it is essentially 
the same as kind of college going to professional. Like there's so many, like almost everyone plays, like I played football, you know, like growing up. And it's just one of those things that everyone, it's not, I don't know, everyone plays it. Like there's no kind of if, ands, or buts about it. It's either you play football or you don't. And most people actually go to school, have played football at least at some point in their kind of studies or whatever it may be. So it's, um, it's just different, man. Like it's, you look at, so you got the high school right and they might peak in their high school and then, it's probably 90% of them don't go 90. Um, it'd be over 95%. I would assume wouldn't go to college for sport. Right. And then from there, that's minuscule amount of people that go to university for sport and it becomes even more minuscule whenever you make it to the professionals. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of people I think that just go and they might be really good at high school, but then they get to college and they just end up just playing what's called intramurals, which is just where all the high school you know, or all the college kids play together is, a bit of a kick around and stuff. And that's what I did for a long time for basketball was just kind of go and play five V five at the local rec gym and then play in what's called in murals where everyone from the school, like made up their own teams and got to pick, you know, like 10 of their best friends, where it was. And you'd show up every Tuesday night to play your game. And then there'd be a big tournament at the end of it. So I think, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of talent out there, but you got, you just have to realize that kind of the best of the crop gets picked at each stage which makes it even less, less, less likely as the time goes on that you'll actually be able to make it to the professionals. It's truly fascinating to me that scenario, knowing that in essence, there's a lifespan already put on your sporting career at any level, you know, even if you're not planning necessarily to go pros or the college, whereas just so vastly different here. And I can't view it sort of any other way like growing up whatever sport I wanted to play was available to me to play Mm. and knowing that that I and look as a kid I probably I was an average footballer and I played with some incredibly talented guys who have have gone on to have professional careers and I moved to the city and thought I'll have a go at this semi-pro team because some of my mates went down there they got invited I was kind of just just showed up, you know, like the, the plus one, the, yeah, the plus <laughs> one. I thought, you know, if I do, do the right things, I can maybe, uh, maybe, maybe get there. And I only ended up playing playing one game of Colts, but I always i had I had the opportunity. Like if I'd maybe played better, trained harder, whatever, maybe just had more athletic ability. You know, who knows what uh, what could have been? But yeah, the and that's that's the same with any other sport. So yeah, I, I feel for the, for the kids who, you know, and even like say like the parents who just have to make the most of their time knowing that, you know, it's, it's a locked to a window of maybe high school, then maybe college. And then that's, that's pretty much it. And you've, you've opened my eyes to the fact that there's so much talent, uh, not going to waste, but yeah, athletic talent that is just probably as good as, anyone else out there they just didn't have the right person looking at the right time or weren't able to get the grades up or whatever it whatever it may be so on on that as well what's your thoughts on the college system do you think something needs to change there from for the athletes as far as let's say you know the the topic of them like you know getting paid or the whole ncaa situation yeah it's um it's a hot topic which it was hot topic well you know, six years ago. Well, we love a hot take here on the Dusty um, Allen show. Yeah, this, I actually haven't talked too much about the NCAA and um, my thoughts on the whole thing. But um, yeah, there was a class action lawsuit recently. Um, this is about two, three years ago, I want to say, about them and the use of players' images, essentially, to be able to make money for the university. And yep. it's a bit of a sketchy kind of way they go about it. So I'll, I'll use this example as kind of, I always say this because it's kind of best explains it, I reckon, is we had a few guys in where I played that were going to go to the NBA, right? So they were top players in the, uh, in the nation for college, you know, the college system. And let's say, so one of the players was named Marcus Smart, who now plays for the Celtics. He won six man of the year, stuff like that. So really good player in college. And the way the university would kind of use and abuse, you know, the system in a sketchy kind of way in and out, they would go and, so let's say a player, right? You're not allowed to have, um, a player's name on the back of a jumper whenever you sell it. So let's say, you know, Marcus goes and plays a game. He's number 33 as he was. Um, And that year's Jersey is sold at the university store with number 33 on the back of it, but not his name. And then the university would kind of look at that as, Oh, well 
we're not directly linking that to Marcus Smart because his name's not on it. And I'm like, anyone that buys that, like, that jumper and that jersey knows they're buying it because Marcus Smart's the one that's wearing it on the weekend. There's no doubt about that. Mm. But the college would look at that and say, oh, well, we can't pay him because his name's not on it. Therefore, he's not the one that's technically, you know, should be the one that's getting the financial benefit from it. So that, that made me really uneasy, I think, in university. The fact that, you know, people were, were getting their names and their images kind of used and abused by the university. And it was nothing against my university because it was every university that's doing it. And that's just kind of the bylaws that the NCAA kind of put down on everyone. But I think now they're kind of getting to the point where there is so much money in the NCAA, a multi-billion dollar industry. The fact that players don't get paid a cent of it is super uneasy. Like, oh, it's just cringeworthy almost. And a lot of the guys have got to the point where you'll see players go into the college system because they're forced to go into the college system. They're not allowed to go straight from high school straight to the professional leagues anymore because the NCAA is forcing them to do this and the NBA, NBA is forcing them to do this. So you look at guys like LaMelo Ball, who's come to Australia and has played for Illawarra Hawks. And he said, essentially, he's gone, why won't I go to the college system, play and play with guys that are 18 to 22, whatever it is. Probably, obviously, you'd probably be on one of the best teams in, in the U.S. Why would I go there and get paid $0 for however many years I'm there? Or I could come to Australia, play in a professional league with guys who are grown men who have already been through the system, who are professional, be able to kind of take you know, advice from them and everything else, grow as a player, probably quicker than you would in college, and then also get paid on top of that? What, what, there's no – the decision's pretty cut and clear. And I think the NCAA is starting to realize that and really kind of feeling the heat as far as that because they're starting to realize that people are going to go overseas – to go play because they have a chance to make money over there and a substantial amount of money, I'm probably going to say, then go to university, get a degree they don't care about, you know, spend a year of doing study for a degree they're not going to finish. So a lot of them would just go to university for a year and take some BS classes like general studies is seriously one class or <laughs> wine tasting or whatever it is, you know, take these classes I don't care about because I know it's the least amount of work they'd have to do. So they can spend as much time in the gym as possible to get their game better. And it's like, well, if you could just cut that whole university part out of it and just say, okay, I'm just going to go and play basketball at a place and, you know, up my game as much as possible. And then I'm also going to get paid on top of that. Like it's a pretty easy decision, I think. And the only way the NCAA sells it is the whole experience of college. I think everyone obviously in Australia kind of has this idea of the American college system of parties and all that kind of stuff you know and it can be true at times um i don't know if we'll get into it too much but um that's probably their biggest selling point is the whole experience around the college system but the monetary side of things is very corrupt and people are starting to realize it and the ncaa is definitely uh, definitely gonna have a lot of heat and pressure going towards their way in the next five to ten years well i hope it forces a bit of change because i think there's I can't see any downside to it aside from like the universities, maybe not making as much money as they used to, but let's say the, the real top prospects go overseas and come and play in Australia, play in Europe, play wherever they want to, they can earn money. They can get as good as, if not better experience playing professionally, doesn't hurt any eligibility I'm guessing for them to then nominate for future NBA drafts. Is that, am I right in saying that? Yeah, no, if you go professional, you can't go back to the NCAA. Yep. So, so if they're, they're doing that, and then I think the, the world that we live in now, the fishbowl that it is, we're so connected. Like you can still get your hype real. You can still be noticed and be seen by, by people through the, this social media. So I don't, I don't see there being a downside. Plus, if, say, the top percentage of players are spread out around the world, then there's maybe more opportunities for other athletes to pop up at the collegiate level to have their chance to shine where they might never have made it to a team as well so because i think it's been great for the nbl locally here as well and you know other leagues around the place so yeah and i think eventually the ncaa's hand will be forced where they'll have to just relax things a little bit uh rather than just seem to be staying as they are yeah it's just it's going to be a tough tough things you look at We'll go back to that Marcus Smart example. You look at Marcus Smart in college, you look at myself. Believe me, there was no number 53s that were sold at the team. Yeah, I'll tell you what, if there, was, if there was I'll one, say that. If, there was, if there was one, I'd love to, uh, love to get my hands on it, mate, because it would be a, be a rarity, uh, I would think. 
think there's only two and i'll probably own both of those because of my game jumpers i used to wear yeah <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, I think it's um, it's going to be interesting to be able to, I guess, decipher who gets more money than another person and how much they get and everything along those lines. So it gets a bit kind of cloudy as far as that whenever it goes forward with it. But um, there's going to have to be some kind of payment involved with the way they're kind of becoming this international, not necessarily international, but this uh, this business that they are that is the NCAA. There's too much money involved in it. There's too much. Um, yeah, there's too many dollar dollar bills involved to be able to say we're not going to pay the people who actually create the content to make us who we are. Mm. Something that I noticed in my time in the states is that college systems. A lot of people are very fond of their their alma mater when and it, the, the college you go to obviously can have a massive impact on how your professional life goes, your personal life, those sort of things. And I found a lot of people live almost through their employment, you know, and I know everything's tied into it, like your uh, your health benefits and, and those sort of things. And, you know, then there's the, the connections that, that come with going to a certain school. Similar things here, like I played at a, an old boys football club when I moved uh, moved to Perth. And, you know, great for networking and, and those sort of things. And just one of the very few curiosities, I suppose, that, that stem from, from the US, uh, your home country, and, and how they sort of go about things there. And you've mentioned that you're, well, you've recently become an Australian citizen. Is that correct? Uh, I've done everything but get sworn in. I've actually, oh, right. um, okay. I'm in the process of trying to get sworn in before an AFL game, actually. I've never actually oh. told anyone this yet, but um, in the process of Alan Tudge, who's the head of citizenship ceremonies, is going to yes. hopefully do um, my swearing in before one of the games that we have coming up. Oh, really? So, yeah. Wow, so what a scoop. Still a, a huge scoop, huge <laughs> scoop. Um, still, still waiting to kind of tick all the boxes from MCG, um, club level, government level, all that kind of stuff. But... Yeah, the wheels are turning. The wheels are turning. I yep. reckon it's probably going to happen. Mate, that's awesome. Well, I mm. congratulate you in advance for when that uh, happens. <laughs> we're we're very you. happy to have you. And I know you don't need to give up your uh, US citizenship in order to do that. And in conversations we've had previously, back in the days that we could you know, catch up for a coffee, uh, heaven forbid, a, a beer in the off-season, uh, you see yourself staying in Australia post football, like longer term, because I know you've recently been vocal about, you know, you're unlikely to, to say, go back to the state's current state, you know, the way things sort of are, that sort of thing. Like you, you can see yourself being a, an Aussie or based here long term. Yeah, I think um, given the fact I've been here for six years now, I think there's probably more opportunity, I would say, um, post career here in Australia. Uh, I'm not really. I'm sure what that's going to look like. I'd love to um, to work on the international game with the IFL in some sense. Uh, but there's, uh, I think there's a lot of different avenues now through Australia. Because, I mean, you can imagine six years being away from the United States and a lot of those connections that you have and people that you used to talk to, um, you probably aren't as strong a connection with. Uh, we're here in Australia. It's kind of been a, kind of a cool scenario to be able to, I guess, like we're very fortunate in the, you know, the environment that I'm in and IFL world that people want to be, I guess, helping you out as far as post-football. Um, a lot of people reach out and, you know, say, oh, maybe we can do an internship or help you out in some which way possible. So I think now looking at kind of my future, whenever it may be, that I retire, hopefully it's 10 years down the road or so. But mm. I think there's just probably more opportunity for me to get a job that I actually would love to do here rather than probably go back to the U.S. and work a desk job that has nothing to do with, I guess, kind of the experience that I've had in the last six months or sorry, six years. I think with everything that's kind of happened here, it's given this unique, I guess, opportunity in life to maybe see where it's going to go forward with. Uh, or back in the States, I'd essentially have to go back to square one of engineering and then kind of go again from there. So I just think there'd be a lot more. I'm all about experiencing unique experiences. And I think staying in Australia is going to give me a lot more of those unique experiences in life where I'll look back on my, on my deathbed, I'll look back and go, wow, how crazy was it to, to do, you know, these different things whenever I legitimately had no idea what AFL was and that any of this was going to happen in my life at this time, you know. So I think um, hopefully, you know, things kind of, you know, go forward and I can have a unique experience once this is all done to, to walk into. 
and uh, they'll probably keep me in Australia, I reckon. Unless I get a missus and she wants to go live in the US, then I'm happy to do that. But <laughs> Dusty, as we both know, that's um, it's not going so well in isolation. <laughs> no, no, I can very much uh, relate to that, mate. That's the uh, yeah, bridge I'll, I'll cross if and when uh, when it comes and not something I need to be too concerned about. But I've... <laughs> I, I agree with you in the sense that with your AFL career here, that definitely will open some doors uh, for you uh, professionally. But I, I say that uh, separate to I've, I've admired the hustle that you have uh, when you showed me like a business card that you had. Uh, I think this is, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months ago. Like I haven't come across an athlete who's, who's done that. And I think there'd be some in Australia who look at that and go, oh, you know, that's a bit sort of, you know, bit how you going? You know, like we don't we don't really do that. And but I, I love the way that you've brought your your ideals and been able to stay strong in doing that. Like you're very eloquent and you say what you what you think about things. Like active on Twitter and Instagram, even Facebook. Yeah, and not being afraid to have an opinion on things that most some people would stay away from. You've got the the knack of keeping it. Uh, you know, having a well informed opinion and being able to articulate yourself. But I really. Uh, appreciate and admire the hustle that you have because you said to me in your own words you know you know you're not going to be playing AFL football forever and now is a time when you can look to you know plant the seeds of some potential like connections or opportunities that'll live that'll you know come to fruition when you're not playing and I I just yeah I'm very much in admiration about how you go about that and was that something from day one that you had in your mind is like okay I don't know how long I'm going to be playing football for. Like you, I'm, I'm guessing initially, you know, you may not have expected to have succeeded as much as you have, you know, like playing some huge games, playing like in a grand final, all that sort of stuff. Like, was it your plan or like something you always had all along that you wanted to, when you say make the most of experiences for that to happen here? Yeah, I think um, like given the fact that I, my journey to the AFL is very different. Look, I went to university. I kind of had an understanding of kind of how the business world worked and stuff before I came into the AFL industry. Um, I just kind of thought, you know what? I'm half a world away from home. This is essentially like a restart of my life. Like no one really knows what I was doing at 22 and before. Like no one really has any kind of idea of the person I was back then. People only know me for the amount of time I've been in Australia. So to me, I was like, you know what, this is an opportunity to be able to do something completely unique in life. And I want to do it in a professional sense, in a professional manner. And yes, I'm going to give my opinion here and there. And some people may not agree with it. You know, that's, that's life. You know, no one's going to always agree with you at all times. So I think you talk about like the business card and talking about having an updated resume and a LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's things that I think a lot of footballers get to the end of their career and go, oh man, I wish I would have done that this whole time. And I just never, like in my life, I've always said, I don't want to look back on something and say, I wish I would have done something, you know. I'd rather have done it, cop criticism for it and moved on rather than sit there and say, oh, I wish I would have done this or seen how that worked out. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to cop criticism from people because I'm unique in my own way and I think in my own way and I have. And I'm, I'm more than happy to take that feedback. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to stick to my values and who I am and what I enjoy doing. And I think it's led to some pretty unique and amazing opportunities. I mean, I can sit there and look back and say, six years ago before I knew what Australia was to the fact that you were, if someone were to come up to me and tell me you're going to sit down with Joe Biden, the vice president of the United States and explain what AFL was in a room sitting next to him on the, like in the stands and say, okay, we want you to be with the vice president of the United States explaining what this crazy game was. I wouldn't, I would have looked at you like you were silly. If you were to sit there and tell me I'm going to go swing clubs with Tiger Woods on the Yarra and Ernie Els for the president's cup to go try to hit a platform, whatever. I've barely even swung a golf club in my life. Like, you get to sit there and tell me these experiences, like all that wouldn't have happened. I don't feel like if I wasn't kind of motivated in that sense to be able to try and make something of this whole thing. And yeah, like I've, I've caught quite a bit of criticism. I'm sure people will give me more criticism in the future. And to be honest, my, like looking back at it, I don't really care for it. I think it's, it's amazing. So I'm like, well, if I don't put myself out there and I don't say these things and don't stick to my guns and all that, then I'm not probably going to have these experiences. I'm just going to shy away into the darkness and just kind of be forgotten. And, that's okay. Like, I mean, if you, if that's some people enjoy it and that's fine. Like some people just don't want other people in their business where I kind of know if I do have other people in my business, and I have other people that kind of are interested in what I'm doing, then opportunities kind of come from it. So I think that's probably my outlook on the whole thing is just looking back and just saying, I don't want to have this idea of, I wish I would have done something. I would rather 
do it, take the criticism and be able to learn from it and move and grow as a person than to not have done it ever at all. I think the, I'm, I align with you very much on that, mate. You know, the regret the things you have done, not the regret the things that you haven't. And yeah, that's a really interesting perspective that you put forward and something that's so simple and obvious that, you know, you were still a, you were Mason Cox, the university graduate that's before you became an AFL footballer. And that doesn't mean that you need to drop all that sort of stuff or the, the goals that you had or the, the things that you were aiming to do. And I think there's, there's something that a lot of potential athletes, current athletes can probably take from that. What's, what's some advice that you would give say potential athletes, those who may be just entering like studies or early phase of their life, uh, some advice that you'd give them on what they can be doing while still pursuing their sporting career. Yeah, I think the biggest thing you have is a group of people around you that support you. Um, that was one of the hardest things I think coming over here was trying to find those people you could trust um, in your inner circle for for six months to a year. It was probably pretty tough to be able to open yourself up to be able to say, okay, I'll trust these people with information I don't want getting out and stuff like that. Um, having that support network is probably one of the first things um, you got to work on and make sure that everyone's on the same page. Uh, and then the second thing is probably just find a hobby or something outside that you enjoy. Like my, one of my biggest enjoyments in life is traveling and new experiences and getting away essentially. Um, I've got a lot of stuff where I'm, I'm on all the time and whatnot. And then to have, I guess my release of maybe like I'll go fishing down the coast down past Geelong. And that's one of those things where like during the off season, I'll be up till 3am and I'm just sitting back and having the rods in the water and just laying on the beach, looking at the stars, thinking how amazing is life. And it kind of gets you to realize that the stresses of ordinary everyday life is actually minuscule compared to the whole thing. And I think it's those moments where you find something you're passionate about that kind of brings you back to earth, that kind of brings you back to, to what life is about that you got to have in your kind of, you know, in your handbag. And I think travel is kind of one of those things that's always kind of been massive for me. I've, I've been able to see how fortunate I am through traveling to places that maybe have not had the same opportunities that I've been given growing up. I think being in Australia and being in America, we forget how we're a first world country that has all these amazing things and can afford to, you know, have shelter and have, you know, a television. I mean, like there's so many people out there that live day to day and have to, you know, farm for a living or whatever it is. And we're sitting there complaining about, someone tweeting us on Twitter or whatever it is. And it's like, that's so minuscule in the, you know, in the grand scheme of life. And there's so many people doing it 10 times harder that we just kind of get lost in the society we are in. And I think you have to kind of take a step back every once in a while and just realize how fortunate you are and to be able to travel and see other people and experiences and how they kind of live their lives definitely kind of puts it all in perspective. In saying that, you know, travel being something that you're, you're really big on uh, have you noticed like with the story that you're telling me today have you shared that much with many of your friends or family to like to this extent like back home or those maybe just outside your your inner circle like how are you portrayed or seen back home in your say like community because obviously i know your family will know what's i mean your close friends that sort of thing but how are you how did, what's what sort of mason cox look like uh the perception of you stateside it's it's totally different um people like i'll go out for drinks in the u.s and people like i'll, like, I'll tell the story but i was in nashville actually recently with a couple of aussie friends that uh, they were in the u.s at the same time we all met in nashville and went out for drinks and stuff and they said you're a completely different person whenever you're in the u.s and i said i know it's totally different scenario because i can go out and i can be a goofball and do whatever i want and it's not like someone's gonna pull out a camera and try to film you whatever it is you know like you can you're totally anonymous in the US. Like no one in the US has any clue who you are because they are pretty much ignorant to AFL. Like there are every once in a while you'll run into a guy who's Australian that's just like, oh my gosh, like I, uh, blah, 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 you know? And <laughs> like I remember I was with Buxit, um, we went to Austin, we were at this one concert down in this place called Stubbs and it would have been 100, 150 people there. And um, the band was about to come on and we're all just kind of chilling out, having a chat with myself, Bucks and my brother. And this guy comes up to us and he goes, oh, hey, blah, 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 massive Collingwood fan, such and such, you know? The three of us just kind of looked at each other and go, you got to be kidding me. Like the reason we go to these places is to get away from all this kind of stuff and just kind of be in our own element. And then we just said, oh, I'll appreciate it, mate. But we're just kind of trying to have a good night or whatever, you know, and um, I'll just appreciate it. We just kind of, you know, we just left us alone. So 
I think in the U.S. it's it's quite nice because you go from AFL here, which is it's it's so big around the country. Like there's no, I tell people it's the most condensed supporter group in all the world. I reckon like in just Melbourne, the fact that there's so many teams here and there's so many people that follow it, there's no getting away from it. And um, whenever you have the opportunity to leave the country, I think it kind of gives you a breath of fresh air to be able to say, okay, yep, like AFL is a massive deal in Australia. But if you look at the grand scheme of things in the world, it's very minuscule. There's only 23 million people in Australia. There's 333 million people in the US. Like it's not even, it's not even a blip on the radar really. So I think it kind of gets you back to being able to be, I guess, like somewhat of your true self where you don't really have to worry about other people's kind of opinions or like all, maybe someone sees this in this way and I don't want to look at it as, you know, as you know, a negative person or something like that, you know, whereas in the U S you can just kind of go and just kind of be yourself and you're not too worried about what other people are thinking of you because chances are you'll never see him again. So mm-hmm. it's, um, it's a different feeling being in the U S and I think that's why a lot of AFL footballers, once they finish up the year, they all go overseas um, just because they want to experience being away from the pressures of AFL. Do you see having, having the unique ability to be able to sort of, in a way, step out of your, you know, and step back into a, like a previous life in, in the States and still I have one here. Do you see that existing in Australia where there'll be a time that elite athletes, well-known athletes, highly publicized athletes will be able to go out and live amongst, amongst the, the people or are we too much of a fishbowl society where we're just not ready for that yet or it couldn't, couldn't exist? Um, uh, I think if you retire, you stay out of the AFL world for 10 years plus, maybe you'd get a bit of anonymous to you. Um, but I don't know. I think with today, it's going to be a very different from this generation with the fact that everyone knows a lot about other people because they put themselves out into the internet and the social media and everything else that people will be able to keep up with others. And it's an opportunity, I think, for a lot of people to stay relevant and to be able to kind of create a business on the on the backside of being able to play, you know. So it's going to be interesting. There'll be, there'll be some people, I mean, you got to think the Brenda Favola's, you know, the Matthew Richardson's and stuff like that. Like they're still involved in media and I'm sure they still get stopped on the side of the street because of that. You know, they're not, they're not going to be able to escape that fishbowl unless they leave the country. But I think um, I could only imagine being someone along the lines of a LeBron James or Steph Curry, where no matter where in the world you go, and this is kind of, I'll go back to the MJ documentary, whenever he was walking in Barcelona and he walks by a building that's, you know, 20 plus stories high and it's got literally the whole side of the building is a poster of him and he's just kind of walking past it. And it's like, there would be nowhere in the world that that guy could go to get away from it. There'd be absolutely nowhere in the world that he could go to be able to get away from the fact that he is tied to basketball and the NBA. And, those people I find so amazing. Like, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they're able to handle that to be able to never escape, I guess, the image they have to portray 24 seven to other people, if that makes sense. Mm. Like he's like, Od- Odell Beckham Jr. I was watching this thing the other day and he said that he was driving or something like that or going for a walk over it was. And these people just stopped him and said, start dancing. And he was just like, what do you mean? They're like, mm. start dancing. You go OBJ. You know, that's what you do. You dance. Like, start dancing for us. And he's like, people don't realize that that's not what I do 24-7. Just because it's like the one time I see you doesn't mean I'm going to sit there and start dancing for you because that's what you see me do on television. Like, no, like I have a life outside of this that I just want to be normal and not feel like I need to try to impress other people or try to, you know, create this image of whatever it is. Like, he, he kind of talked about that and how people have this mindset of like, oh, they're they're going to get what they want to see because that's what they see on television. And that's how their experience with that person's going to be whenever the one time that they meet them is. And just unrealistic to be honest, but I think as AFL players, we're actually quite fortunate. It's one of the cool things about AFL is because it's not an international game, you can get out of the whole kind of bubble in the fishbowl to be able to kind of, you know, remove yourself from that situation to get an experience that's totally different from anything else. I think that you're right. There's the, the, you're able to step outside of Australia and the rest of the world. Well, you could sometimes even step out of your state. You know, like some AFL footballers can go to Sydney yeah. and they're barely, barely recognised. And I, I feel for those athletes or anyone who's truly a global icon. Yes, I know there is wealth and fame and all sorts of opportunities that come from doing that, but I, it would be fascinating i don't know if that's a word but just where you can't in any country you can't walk down the street just like a normal person and 
go to the go to the store or without you know people coming up and and I've seen a a, a watered down version of this like with yourself you know spending uh, the the day at the golf with you and every person every fan bless them thinks oh just just one photo you know like it might be like their only chance and I get that because the game is marketed so well here and you know the athletes are put up to be heroes role models and they just they see their opportunity, but then you add that up to 20, 30 times a day, all of a sudden that's not really fair on you, but you, and it's just such a tough one because you, you, you know, you want to do the, you want to do the right thing. And I don't speak about this. Like I've had that happen to me, but yeah, it, it's, it's the, I suppose the downside of, you know, having, having profile and being a, uh, being an elite athlete who's in a, a highly publicized sport. And I think it's, it's tough from somewhat of my perspective too, I think of like, not to be selfish in the way of looking at this, but like you want to make everyone happy, but you realize you're not going to be able to. Um, mm. I mean, you look at things, you know, and especially if you include alcohol all the times, like if I'm going to go out to, to a bar and someone wants to take a photo with me at a bar, I tell them no. And a lot of people take offense to that. But I think from my perspective, I'm like, well, I don't know what you're going to do with that photo, where that photo is going to get put out or who you're going to send it to saying, oh, you know, in three weeks time, whenever we play, a game you're gonna sit there and tweet that photo out saying i was at a bar last night like that isn't i'd rather just have zero photos of me out and about mm. you know than then be able to minimize that a bit, like that exposure i guess to having that where a lot of people take offense to it a lot of people say oh you think you're too big and too much of a hot shot to take a photo with me at the bar i said no it's just the, the environment we're in i don't want photos of me at a bar drinking beer like i just don't mm. i don't see that being something that i'm gonna you know like that i want public i just i think that my private life needs to be private and then if there's something that i don't mind being public then i'll put it as public i don't really care but that's something that's whenever someone takes a photo and it goes out of your controls whenever you kind of worry a bit of how this is going to be portrayed mm. and i think like you said like taking that many photos in a day does like it's like you enjoy because it it's like you get to interact with people and you get you meet some amazing people who are so nice and so enjoyable but that one person that's, you know, had too much to drink that, you know, starts getting in your face, whoever it is, ruins the whole experience for so many other people that are so kind and so respectful whenever they do ask. And it's just unfortunate, but yeah, it is that one person I think that you always kind of remember, like even looking back to that day, I, I, there would have been, we were taking a few photos, or whatever, but the one I remember is the, there's a guy at the very end who was just absolutely couldn't, couldn't stand straight, couldn't walk straight mm. and was just absolutely rude and very grabby and disgusting. And that's i look back now and that's the one person i remember from from that day and it's like it's so frustrating to have that i guess party mentality but i think um that's the way we're wired unfortunately sometimes you remember the most negative thing rather than the most positive mm -hmm. thing from an experience yeah and you'd yeah love to be able to say to someone does it say hey you know come down to training on any given night you know maybe not in this current environment but let's say you know a world before mm -hmm. this and say i'll happily you know, you can get one down there and stuff, but yeah, the, and it's always the minority who unfortunately make it awkward or difficult or, you know, do the, do the wrong thing in those circumstances. But yeah. It, and, and I think unfortunately for you, whether or not you were a elite footballer or not, you'd stand out in a crowd anyway. Was it like you're six ten? <laughs> Six eleven, yeah. I always There's get no that wrong. Sorry, bro. Six, always, six <laughs> tens of social media is what I've got. But I'm actually six foot eleven. Six, like eleven doesn't sound. Uh, six eleven doesn't sound as nice as six ten. So it doesn't sound as clean. So I've just kept it. <laughs> <laughs> getting getting another scoop on here, mate. So where do where do you see yourself in ten years? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I don't know. I've I've hopefully I know I'll be. I'll be motivated to kind of get something done or to work with someone or whatever it is, but I'd love to, I'd love to start my own business. I think, um, I think you go back to, I think with the very beginning of this conversation, we talked about what's going to come out of coronavirus and a lot of people taking a breath and realizing, I guess, what they want to do with their life post, um, post this whole kind of pandemic. And I think in 10 years, you know, I'm, I'm not too worried about what I'm doing. It's more of just if I'm enjoying what I'm doing, hmm. like, I, like I think the whole monetary side of things, um, once once i've kind of gone through this whole afl thing i think i've realized i guess how much money doesn't matter in the whole grand scheme of life like it's really a minuscule thing you can't take it to your grave and it's not going to buy happiness by any means it's um it's all about kind of the day-to-day -day enjoyment of life um that i'm kind of i think the older i get the more i realize and um 
I don't know where that's going to land me. If that means, you know, start my own business and having something I'm pretty proud of by the end of it, or if it means just maybe teaming up with someone who has the same ideals that I do as far as a company and, and working with them. Uh, but I do have an engineering degree, mechanical engineering degree that I can always go back to. Um, I'll definitely look at, I'm looking at trying to do an internship already um, with the company at the moment, trying to see it's, um, it's just depending, I guess, with time and all that kind of stuff with this year and season to go forward, um, how everything's going to play out. But uh, there's kind of a few things I'll, I'll dip my toes into. And then, like I said, if there's something I'm extremely passionate about, like I really love travel. I love being in the media and kind of being you know, a person that be able to give their opinion and stuff along those lines. And, um, and be able to tell people stories. I think there's some amazing stories out there that, you know, kind of get lost in the whole grand scheme of, of sport and beyond sport, to be honest. And um, I would love to kind of walk into that as something post-career maybe. But I'm really just at this moment trying to, to try to just feel it out as much as possible. And um, I know AFL is not going to last, you know, for the rest of my life. But hopefully the experiences I have within AFL, as we mentioned before, kind of lead to something I'm extremely passionate about once I finish up. And can not only, you know, make myself happy, but hopefully make a lot of people, people around me happy in, in the way I go about it and what I do. And what would you say are your core values? Putting you on the spot here, but what are Mason mm. Cox's core values? Um, go big or go home? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, um, oh man, I think it's just take risks. I like it's probably, a lot of people ask me, you know, I got asked the other day of um, how would you describe your life in kind of a few few words and I think what I came up with just pretty much essentially take risks and enjoy the adventure and the journey along the way um, to take sit there and look at my life and what I've what I've had to do and be able to to move countries to a place I didn't know anyone in and you know create a career here and create friendships and everything else was was quite challenging and it's been challenging for six years and it hasn't been something that's come very easily to me and I think a lot of people just think that oh you know just well, you know, just he became good and he was given these opportunities because he's so tall and all that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong, a lot of it has come because of my height, but I think a lot of it has come because of hard work and effort. And that's something I'm pretty proud of. And like, I think it's the whole journey looking, like looking back at my life and the last 29 years of it, um, I've experienced probably more in that lifespan than a lot of people would experience in a lifetime. And I'm so fortunate for it. And none of that would have came if I wasn't willing to take risks. If I just kind of caved and was essentially saying, Oh, I just want to, you know, I don't want to take the AFL job. You know, I'm too scared to move countries or I'm too scared to, to leave all, you know, leave America and try to, you know, get a passport and go to a different country and experience something new. You know, I think a lot of people get scared of, of challenging experiences and risks and that's kind of where the downfall is. And don't get me wrong. Not everyone's going to come out and you're not going to come out on top by any means every single time, but I can guarantee you one thing is you, you learn from it and hopefully, you know, you can realize that from a third person's perspective that it's made you a better person. And um, it's, it's one of those things I think just taking risks is the biggest thing, you know, obviously you take calculated risks, but to say there, like we talked about this earlier, if you, once you're on your deathbed, the last thing you want to do is say, I wish I would have done something. Um, and like we said, we, we, we've got a time clock, all of us, unfortunately, and that, that time does run out at a certain point. And, um, you might as well make the most of it while it's around because it's ticking, ticking along and um, yeah, you're losing, losing time by the moment. So uh, it's, yeah, I think the biggest thing is just enjoy what you got, make the most of it, and um, don't, get, don't get caught up on the negatives of things. Just kind of enjoy the overall ride um, and the positive and negatives that come with it. And very, very wise words there. And you took a risk coming on the, the Dusty Allen show. And, mate, I appreciate you for it. Love the way that you're going about it, and I can't wait to see you out there clunking a few uh, again. And so, you know, a side note: how's the uh, how's the peepers? How are the eyes going, mate? Oh. You had a, uh, a quite a, the odd injury uh, in the last like twelve months. We're all back on track. Yeah, we're we're back to somewhat normal. Uh, it's not as good as it was before. Uh, double detached retinas is probably not ideal, and. Half of my uh, my eye pretty much getting scraped off was not great, but uh, we got there at the end. You know, I've had an amazing doctor with it, and we've got back to pretty close to 2020, I think. So it's um, I've had to retrain my brain to be able to judge the football and stuff like that. But overall, coming from whenever it happened and me not being able to see essentially, and then coming to where I am now and being able to like I, I got to the point after surgeries and stuff, I couldn't read my phone, couldn't tell who was calling me. So the fact that I'm pretty much back to where I can actually read everything else, it gives you a new outlook on life, I guess, of how fortunate you are to have these kind of senses and 
it's a, it's a typical thing. Once something's taken away from you, you realize how much you use it. And um, my eyesight's definitely been one of those, man. It's, um, it's good to kind of be back to normal. It's something I'll have to deal with for the rest of my life. Um, but very fortunate to have the people around me that you know, have helped me through the process and be able to kind of get me to where I'm at now. And uh, Oakley haven't come through with that special sponsorship to get you some, uh, some specs you can wear uh, whilst playing footy yet. Oh, hopefully there'll be someone from Oakley listening to the Dusty Allen show. <laughs> we can get this while we're on. Fingers crossed, mate. I'll see if I can get them on board for a, uh, for a sponsor. But if they hit you up first, you know, just uh, tell them who sent you. But uh, in all seriousness, mate, thanks very much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. And really do love the way that you're going about it and uh, grow, developing as a person, developing as a footballer. And I think you set a really great example for people, students, professionals and athletes uh, across the world. So it's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bay. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. We'll talk soon. 